0: Man, I I do love the global glance, outreach optics, missionary moment. We joke about it being a lot of different things. But uh, just that one time a month where we get to see one of our missionaries. And if you're newer here, if you're kind of wondering maybe what's that about, we we support uh, several missionaries all around the world. And one of the things that's important to us is it's not just... uh, checks that are being sent, although that is part of it. That is part of why we show them. We show them the ministry that, that you guys are helping participate in as we send resources from here to there. Uh, but it's also, they are part of the family. They are part of the family. And so one thing that's exciting is Robin and her team. Uh, they are coordinating a missions conference that's going to happen. So we're actually going to get to bring our missionaries here uh, in the fall. And that is just going to be uh, an amazing time because Sunny Rhea, I mean, those, they are just Uh, some of the amazing crew that we have as missionaries around the world. They are so much fun, um, and I can't wait for you guys to see them all, meet them all, if you haven't already. So that's a sidebar. The the main bar, I guess, would be the sermon, right? What we're doing today, what we're getting into. Um, And I just want to say, Becky, that was, uh, I don't even know where you're sitting at, right? There you are right there. That was spot on for this morning, and so I'm just excited to see what the Lord's going to do just in our hearts um, this morning. And uh, really, we've been in this series on communion that we're simply just calling Body and Blood. And the series, uh, you know, un- unintentionally to me, hopefully intentionally on the Lord's behalf, and I would just was uh, hearing correctly, you know, was um, a series where, where really in January, we almost stopped and did a mini series on prayer uh, because we can't talk about communion without talking about union with Christ. And you can't experience union with Christ without having a prayer life that is that's contingent upon hearing the Lord, that, that, that demands or sort of begs to just hear from God. Um, so we stopped and we did a little bit on prayer while we were doing a church-wide fast. And so many of you participated in that. Uh, I just heard someone fasted crafting to make more time for the Lord. And I just went, that's beautiful. That's be- it, j- there were so many little sacrifices that were made, food and otherwise, just to go, no, I want to I say no and put off something that's happening in this world right now so I can say yes to the things of God being more evident and more real in my life. And so hopefully we grew in that. Hopefully it was a muscle that we just kind of began to flex at the beginning of the year that will sort of mark out the rest of our year now as we continue on. But as we looked at prayer, then we shifted and we've moved gears now to going uh, more, hey, now let's talk about the sacrament of communion. Let's talk about the sacrament of communion and and let's talk about what all we can experience and what all we can uh, kind of push our minds and our, our effort forward to while we take communion. Because communion is one of those things, if we're Honest, depending upon your upbringing, uh, it's something that can be a little bit of a disorienting time, a little bit of a confusing time. What am I supposed to be doing right now? Some churches kneel, some stand, some do the whole rigmarole the whole time. Uh, but really, what we're after in communion, we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, is that um, we're trying to set our minds in remembrance of Christ's sacrifice while we long for a future day to be with him uh, for in this perfect and forevermore state, and we try and pull those two realities into our present as we cry out to encounter him right now. That's one of the things we're doing. That's one of the places our mind can be going in communion. Last week, I thought Katie just did an amazing job, a wonderful job showing us how there's this humility that is begged of us during communion. Nobody gets to approach the communion table with pride on their shoulders because it is this consistent reminder that you could not achieve what God has already achieved for you. God has already poured his life out for you. And so this humility that we encounter at the communion table isn't though just meant to terminate on us. It's supposed to bring us together as a church body in unity so that we might demonstrate Christ's sacrificial love to the world as he has first demonstrated it to us. I thought that was beautiful. And, and really that last point there, if you missed it, if it didn't land, I would encourage you to go back and rewatch it because that demonstration of Christ giving his body, breaking his body for his body, is the perfect setup for us as a body to demonstrate that self-giving love to the world around us. It's profound. It's beautiful. Um, And not just because she's my wife. You know what I mean? Like I really was sitting there and I was just like, that's that's a really beautiful point. That Christ has given us the demonstration of self-giving love. But not just so that we can sit here and go, man, he just loves me so much. Like that is part of it. But it's so that we can embrace that love and then give that out to somebody else in the world that we're living in. And so today, what I want to talk about is I want to kind of land the plane on this communion series. And I want to, if I could subtitle this message in any way, it would be eating to hunger again, eating to hunger again. Um, You ever eaten something and immediately like you kind of just are like, man, that just didn't, didn't settle right. Or just like, I I remember um, when we were early on married, we were, we were just broke, broke, Um, lived in this really small apartment. And, and um, this is just like, is as shady as it gets really for, I guess, downtown Fort Collins. Okay. Um, this 400, 500 square foot apartment, our, our oven was like the half size oven. You know what I mean? And, and when you cooked frozen pizzas in it, it's not that, you know, Katie's not a good cook, but you literally had to like stop it halfway through and spin the thing around. Otherwise one side would be burnt and one side would be still a little cold, you know? And I'm just, I, had, I don't even really know how that happened because it was in this box of fire and somehow one half is cold and one half is burnt. But That was how it was, you know. And I've always felt like Totino's Pizza. Anyone? Totino's Pizza. Come on. It used to be ten for ten at King Supers. I don't know if they are anymore. I have, I have, I have since elevated my pizza game. Uh, You know, I've reached that point in my life, I guess, where I don't have to go for ten for ten Totinos anymore. They were one of those things. Like, it seemed like the more of that I ate, the more of that you eat. It's like the more hunger you get. Do you notice that? Or it's like I, I feel like I could eat. No limit to the amount of like Totino's pizza, just over and over and over again. And you just, you just still feel maybe it's not hungry, maybe it's just wrong, you know? <laughs> but you just eat it, and as you go, you're just like, I don't know, this is actually satiating me at all, you know? I thought it's a good week to talk about this because we're just coming off the Super Bowl. How many of you guys had just some good snacks at your Super Bowl watching time, you know? For some reason, the, the household I was at, you know, uh, we just said, hey, bring a snack to share. Everybody bought queso. Like, I mean, literally, I got, it was like 18 bags of chips and just queso on this kitchen island. And so we're like, this is an amazing idea. Uh, Next year, same time, same place, queso party and the Super Bowl will be on in the background. You know what I mean? Just like, bring your best queso. And, uh, uh, you know, I say all that because obviously, you know, I I love talking about food, mention tacos all the time. And I told somebody I'd mentioned tacos at least one time in this sermon. So there you go. There it is. And, uh, but, but there's this, there's this reality to the God that we serve that he doesn't just interact with us in a, in a spiritual sense. And I think a lot of people want to label God and label Christianity as just, yeah, it, they're those people who are just spiritual. But really um, that, that kind of appeals back to a very early heresy that was Gnosticism that separated out the physical from the spiritual. And so they would say that all physical was evil and all spiritual was good. Therefore, they would make the argument even that Jesus could not have come uh, in, in a human body. Because that would be to blend the good with the evil, right? And, but that's not, that's not the God we serve. That's not how we know the gospel story. We know that God put on flesh so that he could save us from our sin. Like we know that story, but, but more what I'm, I'm bringing this up to say, um, we serve a God who, who integrates what happens in us both physically and spiritually, And so this is why, I mean, all over the Psalms, all over the scriptures even, you're going to see commands to do things physically with your body that kind of beg this spiritual response. Lift your hands. Like, I don't know how many times it's commanded in scripture that you should lift your hands to the Lord. How many times in scripture it's commanded that we should sing, shout, make a sound. Those are things that God is commanding us physically to do in order that we might see something break through spiritually. And, and, and it, it works this way with a meal too. We've been talking about this, that communion is one of the meals given to us to kind of tease out in us this spiritual response, this spiritual hunger for more of God. So we have the Passover meal, we have communion, the Lord's Supper, um, we have those, and then we have the marriage supper of the lamb. All of these are physical things with spiritual implications. Does that make sense? So we see this, I mean, we see this in, in the New Testament church. There's constantly the encouragement to lay hands on and pray i don't I don't think there's anything like like there's no Star Wars stuff happening when we're laying our hands on people and it's like the electric lightning is shooting out of our fingertips at somebody that's That's not what it is, but God oftentimes wants us to posture or do something with our body to put us physically in alignment with where our hearts are at spiritually. You see that so the question that kind of underlines everything that I want to say this morning is. Are you hungry for more of God in your life? And I I know that the Christian church answer real quick is, yes, yes, I'm hungry. I'm desperate for him. And and maybe you are. Maybe you just were. Uh, Maybe I think it's really easy to experience this kind of desperation or this radical hunger for God when you're in the moment of a crisis. You just get the phone call. Like the terrible thing just happened. The relationship is strained. The the crisis is right at your doorstep. And in those moments, let's be honest, it's really easy to be desperate for God, isn't it? But most of us live most of our life just sort of eating from the world's mediocrity, if you will, constantly numbing or constantly taking our appetite to what this world has to offer, ignoring the spiritual feast that we could be experiencing in Christ. I, I, I want you to hear this this morning because, because so, so often you get that crippling phone call that you wish you would never get or, or whatever's happening. The mar- your marriage is on the brink. Like you're not sure if you're going to have the job tomorrow. Like whatever that moment is for you, we all have them. And in those moments, it's easy to get on your knees and to cry out and to, and to look desperate and to be desperate and go, God, I need a breakthrough. But most of us, for most of the days of our life, actually spend a ton of our time and a ton of our effort taking our our kind of low-level anxiousness or our low-level dissatisfaction with who we really are, kind of our low-level identity issues or our low-level worry that we don't really belong or that we're not really accepted. So not the crisis level. I'm just talking about your kind of like daily stuff that you're not really sure that you fit in with this crowd. Or you're not really sure that, you know, this relationship's that good. You're not really sure there's not quite enough bank. There's not mon- enough money in the bank account. And we take that and we cope and we, and we feast and we eat and we nibble on the crumbs of this world rather than bringing it to the communion table, which is what we're going to talk about today and saying, no, I can, I can feast on who Jesus is and what he's done for me. And, and let me just tell you, for, for those of you who are in the room who know, once you've eaten from this, there's nothing else that can satisfy you in that way. There isn't. There's nothing else that can satisfy you in that way. We were, uh, this last week, um, some of the leadership team, we went down to a a conference down in Colorado Springs and we were reminded of, I mean, this is something that I'm reminding you of today. It's nothing that you probably haven't heard that's new to you. Um, but just Brady Boyd was kind of showing us as pastors, these kind of four wells that we turn to uh, four basic needs that all humans have, but he was really, um, kind of coming after us as pastors. If you can throw that slide up for me, Stephen, that says, uh, We have four basic needs that humans are all instinctively motivated to satisfy for all of our life. So all of the time, doesn't matter if you're 10 years old, 15 years old, 30 years old, 85 years old, every single person in this room is turning towards those four needs and we're looking to have them satisfied in something. So we're looking to feel accepted. We have this need to be loved. We have this need to be loved. We we are turning to try and have ourselves defined. We're looking to sort of figure out what our identity is. And we're putting all these, oftentimes, these external markers. So we're defined by what we do. We're defined by who we're with. We're defined by the the, the amount of money, the means that we have. We look to all these different things to define us, to give us an identity. Or we turn to all those things also for security. I need access to basic needs. So, So you want to feel secure. You want to feel comfortable by having a certain level of means. This is different for all of us in the room. Some of you are happy with $100 in your bank account. Some of you aren't, some of you aren't happy until you have at least thousands of dollars in your bank account. Uh, I mean, there's just different levels of these basic needs, but we all have them that need to be met to feel either comfortable or to feel secure, to feel safe. The last one will be purpose. All of us on some level need to feel like we're doing something significant, doing something that matters. And again, uh, my, my question is less for the person who's in critical crisis mode right now. My question is more for the person who's just going through another day. And, and in this week, what you're going to experience is just another Tuesday. And what you're walking through consistently in your life, week after week, is you're, you're turning with these four needs and you're trying to find acceptance on the people that you're with. Right, and Brady. I mean, this was, it was, it was compelling. I guess for me to sit there as a pastor, and he was like, "Hey, pastors, you're trying to get all of this from your congregation." And I think there's a lot of pastors that are trying to go through that list, and they're trying to get acceptance from their congregation. They're trying to get identity by how big their church is. They're trying to get security uh, by how much money's in the bank account for the church. They're trying to get purpose based on what kind of mission we're all involved in here. Right, and so that's that's how this landed on me this week, fresh. So now I'm just like, okay, great. I'm gonna invite all of us into this, right? (laughs) But every single one of you is turning to a well, what Jeremiah would call a broken cistern that can't hold the living water, the fountain of living water that God is trying to offer to you. And so you're turning to sex, you're turning towards money, you're turning towards relationships, you're turning towards uh, your job. Um, and and here's, here's the crazy thing, like even for, for the marriages in the room, if you try to put any of these on your spouse, that is, that is one of the quickest ways to just break your marriage. Because as much as I want to be loved by Katie, I don't need to be loved by Katie to be a son of God. As much as I want to know that I'm a married person and that we have a good marriage, if I, if I put my identity into our marriage, that, that, is, that is not something my marriage is meant to bear. It's not something your marriage is meant to bear. Only Christ can give me my identity in a way that can actually hold it. Do you know what I'm saying? So again, again, All four of these things are something we're constantly seeking towards and we're constantly turning to the world to satisfy this hole in our heart. We kind of all have this deep existential angst somewhere in us that asks the question like, do I matter? Am I lovable? Um, is, is what I'm doing worth it, right? We're all kind of asking these big questions in some way. And um, if you ever just read the book of Ecclesiastes, we're not even gonna look at it this morning, but just read the book of Ecclesiastes because Solomon tried, he tried money, he tried power being king, he tried, he tried women, right? And I know that's not popular to say, but he, like, he, tried, he tried a lot of women, he tried wine and he looked for the meaning and the purpose and the significance and all those things. And what was his conclusion? Apart from God, it's meaningless, Apart from God, all of those things are meaningless. It's like a vapor. It can't satisfy. It's, it's like, there's no amount of money I can stuff in that hole. And let me just say, Solomon had more money than you ever will, to, and, he, and he reached that same conclusion. So if you just think it's gonna be achieved all of a sudden by one more zero at the end of your income or one more zero at the end of your checking account number. I'm just saying like, listen, here's a guy, Solomon, who had more zeros than you could probably ever imagine even drawing up in your bank account. And he still went, ah, just didn't fill it. It didn't fill it. And the arrogance that we have in our modern era today is we just don't believe history. And even though this guy wrote this down, he lived it and he experienced it and he walked through it and we just go, I don't know if I just made an extra thousand dollars a year, I think I'd really, and it's like, come on. He had, he had more mass, I mean, okay, never mind. Point's been made, move on. <laughs> you can't fill it. You can't fill it. And some of you know that. And that appeals straight to Becky's word this morning. Some of you have this just like un- you're, you're unable to be content with the life that you're living. And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to me. It's heartbreaking to the Lord. Like he just wants you. He just wants you. Man, That has been this series in a nutshell. God just wants a relationship with you. He's not, in, he's not interested in all that you can do for him. He's interested in being with you. Right? Man, come on. Even if it's just me and Sharon, I would, I would charge hell with a water pistol with you. All right? <laughs> Here's what, here's what Jesus has to say. If you're, if you're like in that spot where you're realizing, like, I just can't be filled. I can't, it's it's not, there's no relationship. There's no amount of, there's no amount of physical things I could do all that. I just can't be satisfied. Here's, here's what Jesus has to say. Matthew 5, verse 6, Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Listen to that promise. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So how do you, okay, Austin, how do you just hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? Um, if you just, uh, and this is all I did this week. I'm not, I'm not that smart. Okay. I just, I just looked in a concordance for where all that word righteousness shows up in the Bible. And it all breaks down into two places. You having right standing with the Lord, like this verse in Romans 4, 22. it's talking about, uh, it's talking about Abraham, I think is who, is who Paul is writing about. It says, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, so the first way that we hunger and seek for righteousness is by hungering and seek for having right relationship with God. In other words, we have right standing before him. We, we, we stand before him holy and blameless. And the only way you can ever do that is, is how? With faith in Jesus Christ. And that faith is credited to you as righteousness, right? And so when you hunger and seek for righteousness, the first place you have to go is hungering and seeking for a right relationship with Jesus, And knowing what to do with him. How do you answer the question, what did you do with my son when God asks you that one day? Right, and then the second way that righteousness is used is by the things we do. So Paul, again, I mean, Romans has just the the word righteous in it like a a bajillion times. Um, But Romans 6 says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So righteousness categorically all throughout the Bible is going to be broken down into two planes. It's the righteous standing that you have before God. It's the right relationship with God, and it's the right way of behavior in the world that we're living in. And here's the beautiful thing about Christianity. You can't get one without the other. You can't get one without the other. So if you're just endeavoring to live in right behavior, but you're neglecting the fact that you have to yield yourself, die to yourself and surrender yourself to Christ, you're never going to be able to sustain right behavior. I just promise you it's going to be exhausting and you should just stop trying right now. But if you would yield and surrender yourself to God and, and take that step to have right standing with him, now then the Bible also says that that faith, it can't help but produce righteous living in you. And you're not going to be perfect at it right away, but you're going to continually just see it grow in you as you practice surrendering and yielding to Christ. So those, blessed are those who hunger and seek for righteousness for they, they will be satisfied. So how how do you finally put that, that, those deep questions that you have in your soul, how do you finally put them to rest? You hunger and you seek for what God has for your life. And you just go, God, I'm, I'm desperate for you. I want only you. Uh, it makes me think of the, the parable of the kingdom. Um, you know, it says that there's the kingdom of God is, is like this field. And this guy wanted what was in it, right? It's like this treasure hidden in a field. By the way, um, dad's in the room. My wife was always taught this parable that like she, she is the pearl, right? And one day there's going to be a merchant who gives up everything for you. And I think that the implications are greater than that, but it also is that, right? And so, man, what if, what if your daughter just walked around knowing, like, I'm not going to give myself over to anything cheap. Like, no, it's going to be for somebody who's ready to give it all up for me, like Christ gave himself up for the church, right? Because that's, that's what should prepare a young man for marriage is can you spend yourself for somebody else? Anyways, that's another side note. Um, I'm, all, I'm all, like, feely, okay? We just came off a conference, and it was like, it just read me like a book, and I'm just I'm like, oh, my gosh, i just got all this stuff, but... Um, I'm sorry that you have to deal with this, but this is where we are. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's been hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered up. What's this next line? Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. See, because sometimes you're sold a version of Christianity that says, man, you know what? You just got to like, you just got to put off everything. And there, I'm not denying that there is a level of, of dying to self that comes through Christianity. I, we talk about that all the time. But I'm just saying that like, man, there's something in this guy who discovered this thing in this field called the kingdom of God that he goes, no, uh, it was my joy to, lo- to throw everything else off and to go, I just want what's in that field. This, this is what it looks like to hunger and to thirst for God, where it's like David writing, as a deer pants for water, so my soul longs for thee. Where it's, it's going, um, man, it's not even so sacrificial at some level. Do you see that? Sometimes you're sold this version of Christianity that just says, hey, listen, it's, it's going to be zero fun, um, and you're going to have to, you're going to have to quit doing all the things that you don't like to do, you know, and, and you're just going to have to like deny, deny, deny and say no to everything. Um, and then, and then finally, like you'll experience God in the midst of it. When really the picture that the Bible is painting is that no, like the, the joy and the pleasure and the goodness that is found in him makes it easy to throw away everything else behind you. Right. And so I, I just, I don't want Christianity sold as this thing where we're just zero fun. No, I actually, I've found the deepest level of pleasure that there possibly is that this life has to offer because I know him. Like, listen, just listen to some of these Psalms. One thing I ask for the Lord, this alone I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Does that sound like it's coming from someone who's sad? like just prone to melancholy and all up in their like own just sadness. No, they're like, this is all I want. This is all I'm after. Psalm 23, it's it's marked the beginning and the end. Psalm 23 starts with the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's how it opens. But then it closes like this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right? I, okay, we're going to take communion. And, and before we do, I'm just going to read a bit, I'm going to read chunks of one more story from the, from, from the Bible. John chapter 6 is where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he's making this huge point uh, in the middle of this ministry moment to say, listen, there you have been turning to the bread of this world to try and fill this hole in your heart, but I'm the only one that can fill it. I'm the only one that you can eat from and never get hungry again. And and it starts with Jesus feeding the 5,000, right? It's this beautiful story. It's probably more like, I don't know, 12, 15,000 that he feeds. And he takes, he takes just like a, a little bit of food and he turns it into a bunch of food to feed a whole bunch of people. and And... They're all following him. They're all following Jesus. And he just, I love this because Jesus just kind of, you know, he calls game before he even does the sermon. Like he just is like, hey, here's how this is going to go down. Just letting you know ahead of time. He's like, you're only here because you saw signs and you ate your fill of loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you. For on him, God, the father has set his seal. So he just is kind of like eight ball corner pocket. You're only here because you want more miracles. You're not here because you want me right? So he goes, he goes on and, and they're kind of like, they're having a hard time. These people who are following after him, they're going like, wait a second, how, how is this guy's body going to feed all of us? They're so like literal and they're so caught up in the moment. And we have this beauty of hindsight where we know the scope of Jesus's work, where we can look back at this moment. And we're like, no, he's talking about communion, you, you silly heads, you know? I don't know where that came from, silly heads, but, but he, he says, he's like, we have the breadth of what Jesus is doing here, but they just have this moment, right? And Jesus is like, unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it's like, whoa, Jesus, like this is, this is cannibalism, like what's happening here, you know? Because in the moment, like it feels intense. Jesus says to them, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So here's, here's what happens from this moment. Most of the people who are there, a lot of the people who are there go, man, this is, uh, this is too much. Like, I don't, I don't understand enough. That was cool when he multiplied that bread and that was cool when he did these miracles. But, but man, what he's talking about now, like that's, it's crazy for me. And it says many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus turns, he turns to the 12 that he called. He says, so do you want, to go? you want to go as well? You want to bounce too? And, and remember, it's Simon Peter answered him. And a lot of you already know where this is going. Okay, but Simon Peter, just picture him. We don't have the full scope of Peter yet. Peter just has this moment where he's like, man, I abandoned what I used to know. I've been following after Jesus and he's done some cool stuff. Peter in this moment is in the same moment you and I are in right now. Where we we know that God has called us, we've seen him do some cool stuff, but now it's starting to press, and now it's starting to get difficult, and now the world is starting to turn away and go a different direction. And Jesus is like, Do you want to leave as well? And Peter's answer is just so beautiful Lord, where else would we go? Where else would I go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Do you know what Peter's saying here? I've tasted what the world has to offer and I've experienced you, and there's nothing that compares. Where else would I go? Where else would I go? Where else would I go to have what you've given me, God? Right? Here's, Here's the cool thing that communion can do for us as we take it for the rest of the year now, but as we take it today. Some of you have let your hunger drift towards this world, and you're just consistently turning towards the world, and you're feeding that appetite, and you're just continually coming back to money, and success, and power, and relationships, all these different things. And Jesus is reminding us through this meal. He's like, man, if you would just eat this bread and, and drink from this cup, can you just be reminded that I'm the only one that's going to satisfy you? I'm the only one. So, so communion becomes this ritual where we're consistently reminded and have our appetites as we eat something physically, we have our appetites spiritually in us begin to swell just a little bit. As we, as we maybe let the Lord convict us in a sweet way, maybe even before you take communion today, for most of you in the room, you can take just a minute. And actually, Stephen, would you throw that slide up that has just the kind of four places we turn? Maybe you can just sit there. We're not gonna take it all together again. It's gonna be just kind of on your moment to sit there with the Lord, and then you take the elements as you are ready. But maybe you go, Holy Spirit, where have I turned to a broken well to hold the living water that you're trying to offer me? Right? For others of you, I want the communion table today to be an invitation for you that you have been trying so hard to find contentment or to find peace or to find hope in the world that we're living in. And today it's this moment where Jesus wants to, I think just lift the veil and go, listen, no, he alone can satisfy you. Once you've tasted of him, there's no, there's no thing that you're going to be like turning to in the world, looking for that same satisfaction from and so maybe today the communion table is an invitation for some of you to go, no, I, I, I want my appetite to be set on heaven. And you're going to put off the world that we've been living in and you're going to say yes to Christ. Here's, here's the crazy thing. Um, it, takes, it takes death to enter into the kingdom of God. It takes you dying to yourself. Jesus says, whoever is willing to lose his sake for me is going to find it. That's who's going to save themselves. So here's what happens when you, when you surrender your life to God, it's a moment where you say, I'm, I'm dying. Austin, as you know him, is, is, is going away. And what Jesus does in that moment, when you, when you say, no, I'm, I'm gonna die to myself. Jesus meets you in that moment and he resurrects you and you participate in his resurrection. So it is no longer I who live, but it is now Christ who lives in me. And he picks you up and he says, okay, now come on, let's walk this journey together. As you have laid down your life, now he's going to pick it up again and he's going to walk it out with you. Not that you're going to do it perfectly, not that you're not going to f- keep kind of running back to these wells from time to time to find something in that only he can offer you. But the, but the mistake that you could make in this moment is continually acting like you're satisfied in Christ when you've made a life of finding contentment or satisfaction or purpose or value in what the world has to offer. And the communion table, I think, is this perfect representation or picture for us to come and to go, I'm done eating Totino's pizza. Like it's crap. Like I just eat it, need it, need it. And I'm just I'm still hungry and I, I feel like garbage. Right, because that's what sin does is it, is it overpromises what you're gonna feel like and then underdelivers, Leaves you filled with shame, leaves you filled with embarrassment, leaves you feeling re- regretful, you know, causes all this damage everywhere. But only Jesus will, will, will meet you in that moment, lift you up, set you free from your sin, so you don't, have to, you don't have to pick up that phone line anymore and he's gonna be the one who fills you. Where you go, man, come what may, right? Come what may, I'm gonna follow after him because I have tasted and seen his goodness. So let me pray. And then as your heart's ready, would you come and just grab the communion elements and take communion on your own? I'll pray as to dismiss this at the end. Jesus, I ask that you would help us Help us put off what this world is offering to us to fill us. God, I pray that we as, as a body, we as a church in unity today, together, would we'll just collectively say, the world cannot satisfy me. Only you can. Only, I can only find what I'm looking for by, by coming back to right relationship with you. And so we just continually, again and again, yield ourselves to you. And we ask God that 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 decision in faith would continue to set us free of the junk that we so often are getting caught up in. Jesus, we need you and we love you. Thank you for this moment. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, as your heart is ready, come and grab the elements. God, I pray that you would increase our hunger for you and for the things that only you can do in our life. God, I'm just sitting here taking communion for myself, reminded that I could get fired tomorrow and I, I would still have you. I could lose my wife, I could lose my kids and I would still have you. You take every dollar out of my bank account tonight and I would still have you. I pray that I would have that kind of contentment. I pray that we as a church would have that kind of contentment in all of us that is so rested and in love with you, Jesus, and so desperate for you, and so hungry for who you are in our life, God, that, it, that come what may, whatever circumstances befall, that we would be eagerly and earnestly pressing into you. That there would be nothing in this world that compares to the surpassing greatness of knowing you. Would that be a true statement in each of our hearts? That we would know you and love you deeply. God, you're so good. You're so great. I pray that as we are about to stand up and walk out of this place, God, we be people who are marked by your presence, marked by an encounter with you. And we take you with us into the world that we're living in, Jesus. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. It's in your name we pray. Amen.